We're excited to have you join us for this episode of Pelvic Health and Fitness. I'm Dana Morilato, mom, orthopedic, and pelvic health physiotherapist. And I'm Rhonda Chamberlain, mom, orthopedic physiotherapist, and pre-postnatal fitness coach. On this show, we have open and honest conversations about all phases of motherhood, including fertility, pregnancy, birth, postpartum, menopause, and everything in between. We also provide helpful education and information on fitness, the pelvic floor, and many aspects of women's health, including physical, mental, and emotional wellness. Please remember as you listen to this podcast that this is not meant to treat or diagnose any medical conditions. Please contact your medical provider if you have specific questions or concerns. Thanks so much for joining us. Grab a cup of coffee or wine and enjoy. Okay, welcome everybody to episode five of the Public Health and Fitness podcast. And today we have Jacqueline Seabock joining us. Welcome, Jacqueline. Yay. Hi, guys. Thanks for having me. Jacqueline is a pelvic and orthopedic physiotherapist in London, Ontario and St. Mary's, Ontario. And she also teaches a course educating health professionals about cesarean sections through pelvic health solutions. And on top of all of that, you are a mom of four. So we're so excited to chat with you today and pick your brain about all things cesarean sections. But why don't you go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourself and your journey to becoming a pelvic floor physio and how maybe your births have led you down this road of really having a passion for cesarean births. Yeah. So yeah, I am a mom of four and um, all four of my kids were born by cesarean, (laughs) uh, which I was not expecting or planning on. Um, yeah, and obviously the first one was an emergency C-section and then the rest were just kind of ended up being uh, scheduled C-sections. And, um, yeah, I just, I guess I just found the recovery from that as I'm sure like anybody that goes through birth the first time, whether it's vaginal or C-section, it's, you kind of, um, you realize how hard it is both physically and mentally. Um, and so I just remember being completely shocked at how lost I felt with my recovery afterwards. And um, like, I spent a lot of time digging around trying to find resources and, um, you know, places I could go for good, legit info on, you know, how I could recover well after having a major abdominal surgery while trying to care for a newborn at the same time. So um, I I think that kind of sparked a lot of my passion and, yeah. And just ch- chatting with a bunch of other moms and, you know, friends and mom groups and realizing how prevalent a lot of just pelvic health issues in general were. Um, I was kind of blown away and I knew that people could get treatment for it. <laughs> and I yeah. said, you know, how come it's, you know, it's so hard to find um, in our area anyway, there weren't many practitioners at the time that were doing pelvic health. Um, and so it w- wasn't an area I was expecting to end up in, but I, you know, decided to to take the training for it and, yeah, I've really been enjoying it since. So awesome. I find it so interesting that as a physiotherapist, even you felt completely lost and just like, where do I even start with this recovery? And I know that's a, a report that I hear from a lot of clients and especially with cesarean births, but they Mm -hmm. often feel that way with vaginal deliveries too. And just, they had no idea the recovery that's involved. Right. Yeah, for sure. And it just, I found it extra hard because as a, as a physio, I mean, we're really trained to deal with surgical recoveries and we have all these, you know, protocols and very specific pathways that we follow for, you know, if you have an ACL repaired or if you have a knee replacement. And so it really just didn't fit my brain to 
say like, how come we, we do this surgery and then we just send people home with a baby and say, okay, we'll see you at six weeks. And um, so, yeah, I feel like it's a, it's a, an area that physios especially um, really have a lot to offer and to, to kind of step up and fill that gap. Um, cause yeah, it was, it was completely mind blowing. Cause I, I did, and I needed a kinesiology degree before physiotherapy. So I essentially studied the human body for like, as most physios do for like, yeah. a good portion of my life. And I was still totally lost. It was just, yeah, it was kind of <laughs> upsetting. <laughs> yeah. I think I relate to that too. Again, just that feeling of being lost and just realizing that there's not enough information and, you know, all three of us are trying to change that and many others are as well, but I think it's still slow, right? I think it still mm-hmm. is going to take time. Um, so after your first cesarean birth, did you, um, approach the other ones with a different mindset? Did you have did you feel more prepared or how did that go? Um, yes and no. Like I, I definitely helped just kind of knowing the process and what I was getting into because that obviously, and like most people that have a, a cesarean birth, like you don't really plan on ending up that route. And so for me, it was just, it felt like a really rushed decision. And then like, you're not prepared. Cause I didn't even, you know, educate myself on, you know, what a C-section was or how to recover. So I definitely had that piece um, kind of down for the, the next ones, but it was, I did find each of them was completely different. Like even just the recovery, the difference of having labored first for, you know, 18 or 20 hours and then having a surgery compared to walking into the hospital and, and having the surgery, they were all kind of completely different. So there was still a lot of uh, variation um, that was somewhat new with each time, but um, yeah, just having that kind of general knowledge on what to expect took a lot of the, the stress out of it for me right instead of it being this split second decision or not split second but it seemed like a really quick decision like oh we gotta have a c-section okay um so yeah that was it was helpful but it took a lot of the the distress out of it and i think the research actually shows that that women kind of know and are educated on what a c-section is kind of what they're getting into uh, the risks and benefits ways that they can starting points for recovery uh, they tend to to not feel as um stressed about it afterwards which is great yeah so so interesting and I'm curious to know your take on this Jacqueline I you know we teach we see women all the time for birth prep right we chat all about labor positions and very much geared towards vaginal deliveries in general but I often wonder and I have started to do this and I'm curious your take on it on starting to just normalize that C-section and cesarean sections can be just birth, right? And trying to plant that seed for people so that it's some, isn't as much of a shock. So what's your take on that? Yeah, I think I agree a hundred percent with you, Dana. Like, I think it's something that we should be including in our conversations as practitioners. Um, But yeah, even amongst, like, if you have a group of friends, like just talking about it a bit more and it's, it's a bit tricky to, to navigate, right? Because um, a lot of people are, are nervous and they don't want to think about that. Like a lot of people just don't even want to think about the birth process at all, right? Um, but especially something like a surgery. Um, and I know for me, like I, I was previously super fit and I was like, you know what, I, you know, I'm, I won't end up there. I, you know, I know what I'm doing and I'll get through. And then when you're, you kind of land in that situation, it's all very overwhelming. So I think just, um, yeah, laying that groundwork ahead of time can be really, really helpful. And we know that one in, in Canada or North America, at least almost one in three women will end up having a C-section too. So wow. 
Um, so yeah, having those conversations ahead of time, I, I think are really, really important so that you just, you don't get caught off guard and, and it helps you make decisions in the moment too, right? Instead of it just being seemingly sprung upon you and you're like, oh, I don't know, I haven't looked into this. I don't know the, the pros and the cons and the risks and what I'm okay with and what I'm not. So hashing that out ahead of time. Um, and I think as practitioners, that can be really helpful just to kind of plant that seed in a, in a way that's not, um, you know, scary or uh, invasive for people, but, you know, just saying, hey, like, we know that this could be an option for you, even if you're planning to have a vaginal birth. Um, so, you know, here's some info or here's some resources that you can um, dive into if you, if you want to. Um, and I think also just having those conversations with a, a partner ahead of time, so whether that's a spouse or, um, you know, boyfriend or um, other birth partner, it's, I think it's really important to know what you as a, as a couple potentially are, are comfortable with in, in terms of decision making, um, you know, and hashing out some different scenarios, like if it, and nobody likes to think about these things, obviously, so, it, you know, make sure it's, it's a conversation you're comfortable to have, but you know, if the situation looks like this or the scenario looks like this, are we okay with going ahead with a, a cesarean section? Or uh, if the situation looks like this, <laughs> are we maybe not okay with going that and asking for other options, right? So just making sure you're kind of on the same page that way, I think can really take a lot of the stress out of it as well. I love that. I would, I'm, I'm curious to hear your take on how did you feel supported throughout mm. your births? Because I, you know, moms that I speak with, sometimes it's mixed, right? Some moms go into a cesarean section fully informed and feel like they're told all the parts of what's going to happen and some don't at all. So what was your sort mm. of experience? I love this question. It's, it's such a loaded question. Yeah. Right? I think on a lot of ways, I would say like 100%, I did feel uh, supported in my birth experiences. And, you know, I had great support at home and my family was, was very good. And my practitioners were actually really awesome. They were like super approachable, super caring. Um, but I think, and this, I think I realized this more after the fact mulling over it. And I definitely didn't feel supported in the things that I didn't know <laughs> to be supported yeah. in or to ask about for support, which is, you know, completely impossible to know yeah. in the moment. But I know, I think like having gone through it four times, I think, I definitely would have asked for support in different ways <laughs> had I you know, known what things were going to end up being important for me. And I think this is the same for regardless of whether you've had a, a vaginal or a cesarean birth, right? It's, right. There's a lot of kind of carryover in both uh, modes of delivery, but, you know, just especially giving myself permission to heal. Right. And I think, um, well, both of you will be able to relate to this. You know, there's, there's a lot of layers to birth recovery and, Mm -hmm. And I came at it from, um, have a very heavily ingrained, like athlete brain, <laughs> right. Where you're essentially, you're trained to kind of push through the pain and, you know, to some degree, ignore your body. And so that for me, that definitely carried over in my cesarean recovery <laughs> because you're in pain and you're, you know, you know, you should like in your brain, you know, you should recover, but it's just so ingrained to just like, I got to push through it. You know, the baby needs something. I got to run up the stairs five times and instead of asking someone to get it for me. Right. So there's, there's definitely that layer. There's definitely the layer that we all know about, you know, just the societal pressure to bounce back. And, um, you know, so I, I think I didn't really feel supported in those ways <laughs> with yeah. all the pressure. And that was partly the pressure I put on myself, but just, right. you know, from a, a general more societal view, definitely, um, is an area I think that we, we need to support people better in, but, um, yeah, that was just my experience. <laughs> I know everyone's different. 
Yeah. We love, we love that you've mentioned the athlete brain. We've already talked a lot about that and societal pressure versus just internal pressure to bounce back, which you didn't, I don't know if you saw me stick my tongue out at that. I just, (laughs) I didn't, I was focused. (laughs) uh, Yeah. That just, it makes me cringe, right? This idea that we have to bounce back from this massive physical feat. And I always really chat with my cesarean moms afterwards about you're a rock star. You birthed a human, right? Like it's birth. And cause it, it breaks my heart when I have clients come in and they get emotional talking about cesareans a lot mm-hmm. because they, 100%. they had planned and they had prepped for this vaginal delivery. And then they get into the hospital and sometimes things don't go as planned. I usually say birth has its own plan and they feel like their bodies failed them and, and these things. And I, you know, I do a lot of chatting and we all do and trying to encourage women to just like appreciate what your body did. It gave birth and now let's support it as it heals. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I would love to hear, cause you both have sort of used the, the language of cesarean birth versus C-section. I'd love to hear why that is and why that's important. Yeah. Did you want to go first, Dana? You can have the floor. Okay. <laughs> I don't want to do all the talking, but yeah, I think this is something I kind of adopted after, um, you know, having gone through my birth experiences and it's, it's kind of a subtle thing, but I think it's a really important thing. Again, largely kind of related to your comment, Dana, about just, you know, how there's a lot of uh, emotion surrounding cesarean birth. And I, like my background's in sports injury. So I treated and rehabbed a lot of post-surgical conditions and like nothing compares <laughs> emotionally mm-hmm. to a, a cesarean birth recovery. And so I think it's really important to as practitioners and just as, you know, if you're chatting with friends um, or, or loved ones that have, you know, experienced that mode of birth, it's really important to kind of um, recognize that there may be a lot of emotion tied to that. And particularly, like you said, Dana, the, just those feelings of, you know, my body's let me down or I, you know, I couldn't even birth my baby vaginally, right? Or couldn't have a quote natural birth and all of these things, which isn't true. We know, but we we layer that stuff on for ourselves. And so I think it, it helps in the conversations to, you know, especially tie in that birth phrase. And there's lots of other ways um, that, you know, you can address that. You know, some people prefer uh, terminology like abdominal birth or surgical birth or surgically assisted birth or a C birth versus a V birth. I heard that one on actually. Someone had given me that one on Instagram. I thought that was really great. I I like that. It was now. Yeah. C birth and a V birth. Um, But just to kind of, yeah, address and and reinforce for, for people that, you know, yeah, like you said, Dana, like it is birth. And in my mind, it's, um, you know, it's a really strong and powerful statement of, <laughs> of parenthood, right? If you're willing to, you know, set aside your plans for what you envisioned for a birth and say, yeah, you know what, I realize in the moment, this is maybe the best medical decision <laughs> to keep me and baby safe. And so I'm willing to set aside my, you know, theoretical plan to do what I need to do. And I think that's really powerful and important it needs to be, um, yeah, acknowledged and honored. So Oof. good job. Yeah, <laughs> I have shivers. That was lovely. I love it. Yeah, that was really that was nice. I give me shivers when you said that. Okay. Yeah. Oh, cool. <laughs> <laughs> so my question for you is, what are some of so if someone comes to you for birth prep, what changes for you when you're preparing someone for a cesarean birth versus a vaginal birth, or you know, what are your top tips for someone preparing for that cesarean birth? Yeah, that's a good question. I think I, I approach it largely the same, right? Um, and and sometimes from the standpoint of, yeah, just kind of 
there's a lot of similarities between birth, whether you've, you've gone vaginally or, or cesarean, but I think especially um, in relation to, to cesarean, again, just kind of reinforcing the idea of like having the conversation. So I'll encourage people to, you know, talk with their partner, um, especially, or their provider, you know, if there's things you're really worried about <laughs> uh, regarding cesarean birth, like there's like, those are the people to ask and to chat about and say, you know, I'm really feeling nervous about this or anxious about this or fearful about this. Um, Cause those things can really, can really impact the whole process. So I think that would be number one. Um, and yeah, just whether it's a vaginal or cesarean, just encouraging people to you know, give themselves time to heal and that may look different. Right. And there's, there's nothing to say that I have lots of friends who've had a cesarean birth and a vaginal birth and would choose C-section every time. Right. It's, there's lots of people that have had a vaginal birth that, you know, they've used lots of instrumentation and or had crazy tears and all of these things. So it's not necessarily as cut and dry as, you know, a cesarean birth is always more difficult to recovery and those types of things. So I think kind of laying that out there, but just no matter what that looks like, give yourself time to heal, make sure you ask for help um and setting up a, a space to do that right so making sure you have meals prepped um you know if you end up having a, a cesarean making sure you set up your space at home right so you you'd be put a, a bed on the main floor with the bassinet right there so you don't have to crawl up the stairs you know to to get to bed and all of those types of things um so i try to encourage a lot of that kind of educational stuff uh, just to plant the seeds to get people thinking Absolutely. ahead of time um, and then we'll often talk about some more specific pain management strategies um, specific to a cesarean recovery. So things like, um, like elastic ab wraps. So uh, belly zinc, again, is, is one that I really like, but it could be essentially any elastic ab wrap that you can throw on. You can put it on pretty much right after surgery. Um, and it just gives some really nice support. It's, there's some, some support in the research to say that it helps with function and pain levels um, and just, you know, your ability to get up and moving and, and walking around a little bit sooner. Um, so there's things like that. We'll talk about some specific breastfeeding positions um, that will kind of, you know, protect the healing incision because um, that can be really painful <laughs> after, after birth when you're trying to care for a little one, um, but also heal yourself. Uh, we'll talk about... Um, bowel movements postpartum, which I usually do with everybody anyway, but those kind of hip tips and yeah, just really encouraging people to stay on top of their medications too. Cause I know a lot of um, people, especially if you're choosing to breastfeed um, that are really nervous about, you know, taking, especially some of the heavier hitting pain medication, but um, you know, so I would encourage you to chat with your physician or your pharmacist about that, but there is, um, you know, good, good support to say that it is, the meds that they prescribe are safe for breastfeeding. Um, but if you're obviously concerned about that and chat with the, the right people on that, but yeah, staying on top of the pain meds can be really, really vital to yes. your recovery and your healing and, you know, keeping you moving and, um, but not in a painful way. So, mm -hmm. yeah. I love that. I'd love to hear. So you, you touched on the athlete brain with your sort of return to exercise personally um, did that, was that mostly with your first, uh, return to exercise or was that, did it improve with your recoveries with each kid? That's a good question. And I would say, I would love to say that I learned my lesson the first time, but I definitely, <laughs> <No>. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I would say it was, it was easier the first you know, time or two even to kind of just blow through that. Yeah. <laughs> but the time you get to the third or fourth one, it kind of catches up with you. Right. And you're forced mm -hmm. to you know, face it head on. So I was doing like way more stuff than I should have after my first, I, 
I shouldn't probably say this out loud, but I was running, you know, for one of them, I was running at five weeks postpartum because I was, you know, that was my stress outlet. That was my mental mm. release. And I needed that. And, uh, and I didn't, you know, think it through that, hey, maybe there's other ways I can relieve stress. Mm -hmm. So yeah, physically, I definitely pushed myself too far, uh, largely because of my athlete brain, I think. Um, and that drive to get back and I, I would progressively <laughs> get mm -hmm. a little better with that, but I definitely, it's a, it's a tough one to hash out. It is. I find it's, it's so ingrained and that's just okay. the way, it's just the way you do things. Right. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. and it took me, I would say it, it definitely took me through all four of mine and probably if I had a fifth, which I'm not going to, but probably <laughs> if I had a fifth, I would still be struggling with that. Mm -hmm. Um, which is why I think it's a really important conversations to have, uh, particularly with, you know, athletes and, and active people to yeah make sure they have some different because I it never even crossed my mind like maybe I'm going to need a different outlet yeah <laughs> right yeah, yeah absolutely it can be as simple as that just kind of thinking about that yeah so, yeah for sure and that's not to say you won't get back to that but mm -hmm. give yourself some time man right absolutely so, you birthed the human exactly right? the rock star I tell people the rock stars multiple times a day oh yeah <laughs> um I think it's so important that you say that though right Rhonda and I've chatted about this as well like just because we're physios doesn't mean we did it perfectly no things I would absolutely change if I could go back right and um yeah, it's it's a it's a big challenge to your identity to have children, right? Your identity yeah. kind of gets flipped upside down. So to let go of something that's important like activity is challenging, no matter what your birth look like. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Does your uh, return to exercise advice change if it's a cesarean mom versus a vaginal birth mom? Um. Yeah, I would say. I mean, and keep in mind, <laughs> this is coming from the person who, like, I blew my internal stitch literally the day before my <laughs> my, my six-week follow-up with the surgeon I would not recommend that but I would I would definitely say like my approach and largely because of that like I think it's really important to like definitely you have to you have to follow the post-op restrictions you just yeah. have to and it doesn't matter and I think this is where I fell off the rails right you kind of assume because I was previously athletic or fit mm -hmm. or whatever you want to call it you're somehow immune to going yeah. through the same healing process as everyone else. Right. Yeah. So that is really hard. It's, it's a, it's a tough shift to make, but yeah, making sure I would, de I definitely enforce a lot more heavily after my cesarean birth, um, you know, patients to you know, stay within those restrictions. Mm -hmm. However, um, I do feel very strongly that there's lots we can do before that six week follow-up, not necessarily in terms of exercise and the way that everybody thinks about, but just in terms of movement, and, um, you know, cause if we think about it in terms of other surgeries, if you have a knee replacement, we get that sucker moving right away, right. challenge it. So I think there's a lot of room for kind of movement and, um, motion and cause we know that stuff can help a lot with pain as well. And, you know, just limiting uh, and helping with scar healing and all of that stuff. So I, I tend to have, I kind of adopted just some, you know, very specific things that I'll kind of encourage people to do early on, um, to, you know, you know build that but, but within that kind of restriction. Yeah. Um, and I've seen that. So yeah, that makes what sense. Kinds, what kinds of movements? Um, so yeah, just getting even just some, some gentle kind of stretching and, um, yeah, you know, just like really reinforce, you don't want to do anything that's going to strain or pull that scar tissue, but getting a, a little bit of, of load, <laughs> if I can mm -hmm. use that term mm -hmm. on here, but 
um, through the, the healing tissue, I think can be really helpful for healing. So, um, and actually, I think I got this one from originally from Jesse Mundell. Yeah, but just kind of doing like a half kneeling stretch, kind of like a hip flexor stretch with mm -hmm. some reach up overhead. And I probably for most people, um, you know, everybody's going to heal a little bit differently, but you that may be conservatively something you could start at about three weeks um, post-op. Uh, but just to get a little bit of, of light stretch through there, um, you know, eventually you can get into some things like cobra pose if you if you do yoga or like a mini cobra, but just to kind of stretch a little bit through the abdominals. Yeah. Um, and obviously like, do this under the, the guidance of, of a, a practitioner if you're not sure, because um, you don't want to be straining that tissue and overdoing it too much. Um, but I, I really like especially those two just as kind of starting points for uh, getting things moving and and healing and just getting like reconnected with that area right because you yeah I found after my sections it's like you're in like full out protective mode because yeah. it literally at least my experience it literally feels like things are going to fall out the front <laughs> if yeah. you move your knees or whatever so there's there's this you spend so long kind of protecting and guarding that is really tough to switch into a okay now I can move and I can stretch and and get this tissue moving so um yeah so don't do anything you're not comfortable with if things aren't healed don't force it but um, those are some, yeah. some starting ideas I like. And that just reminded me too, I think, so Dane and I, you and I talked about this, how sort of a myth is that if you've had a cesarean section that you don't necessarily have to rehab your pelvic floor too, right? So oh, I actually yeah. had, I had a client um, a couple of days ago who had a C-section, cesarean section, and she was surprised to be having pain with intercourse. And she's like, I don't get it. I had a C-section. What does that have to do with my pelvic floor? So we had a huge talk about that and got into that talk, like you were just saying about that protective mechanism, right? So she was just holding a lot of tension. She saw an internal therapist and just had a very hypertonic pelvic floor just from everything she went through. It was also not her birth plan. So I think just, again, just a lot of tension after going through a delivery that was not her plan. Right. So we talked a lot about that. So do you want to touch on that from your, yeah. Thanks for bringing that up. Yeah. Really good point. And I see that a lot actually, because you have like the load of the added workload of just pregnancy and supporting baby up inside that pelvic floor has to work a little bit harder. Right. So we see a lot of those issues and yeah, definitely. I see a lot of hypertonic pelvic floors afterwards. And I think, yeah, you, you phrased it really well there Rhonda where it's just, it's kind of going to that fight or flight response mm -hmm. to right from, from all levels, like birth plans different, but it's like one of the few surgeries where you're awake for most people, you know, they just use kind of a local anesthetic um, or something like that. So you're, you're awake and you can't really see, assuming you haven't had a gentle cesarean, you can't, you can't see the procedure, but you're awake and you're aware that, you know, someone's doing something with a scalpel down low and it's not socially appropriate to jump off the bed and run because <laughs> you're naked. And you can't sit up and punch and fight off the surgeon because you know that's not a good idea. So really the only other option is to kind of freeze and, and hang out there. And, and so your body has to process that somehow. And often, like you guys know, a lot of that can get um, kind of translated and manifest in the pelvic floor in terms of tightness in the muscle and guarding and all of that stuff. So yeah, that's a really common one that we see. And a lot of cesarean moms too, I have had some with leaking and they feel hey, it's unfair, you know, I didn't have, and then we have that whole conversation of this myth that leaking can only happen with weak pelvic floors, right? right. Absolutely happen with that hypertonic pelvic floor as well. So it's, it's very common. 
Absolutely. Or even just the side effect of the scar tissue, right? Depending Absolutely. on how you feel, you can have some scar tissue that, um, you know, impacts the bladder and, and that can throw things off a little bit as well. So yeah, yeah, yeah. for sure. So speaking of that scar, what are some of the tips or tricks or scar massage techniques that you like to utilize? When can people start to mobilize that scar? This is a good one. And you, like, you'll hear really different ideas on this. <laughs> some people will say like, definitely wait the six weeks. Um, and I, I don't know, my, my kind of approach that I've adopted is, and a lot of people will say, as soon as it's a scar, <laughs> you can work on the scar. So obviously like definitely make sure it's fully healed over, make sure there's no open spots, there's no oozing, um, you know, the majority of the scab has fallen off. But once that is complete, and obviously, you know, it's always best to check with your healthcare provider, but um, often by the time it's kind of a, a fully healed scar, then you can, you should be okay to start on it. Um, usually I start with some what we call desensitization techniques, where you're just, again, kind of reconnecting with that area, especially there might be a lot of emotional stuff that goes on with that. And even to touch the scar feels, it just really freaks you out or makes you super emotional because it brings up that whole experience. So kind of get reconnected in, in kind of a comfortable controlled way that way can work really well. Um, and just using a variety of different textiles and, you know, cotton, wet cotton, dry cotton, um, you know, silicone, um, silk, wool, whatever you have laying around just to, to have, get it used to practicing, uh, different, you know, processing different textures and, and different amounts of pressure and things like that. So that's probably a good starting point. If you're someone who can't touch their scar and this happens a lot, <laughs> if mm -hmm. it makes you really emotional. There are ways you can kind of build up to that. So you can just imagine touching with those different textiles. And sometimes that is a, a more doable starting point. Um, you can touch through a barrier, like, you know, keep your underwear on, do some of the touch over top of the underwear or pants um, or through a towel. Um, and there's just kind of that physical barrier that is a little less intimidating. Uh, and then after that, or in conjunction with that, you can also start in with some scar mobilization, which is <laughs> essentially, I tell people just, you want to make sure it wiggles in all directions, right? So if you're cool. Move the skin tissue, you know, you can do up and down, side to side, circles, diagonals. It's not rocket science. Just get it moving. And I should actually do a video on that somewhere, but yeah, I'm sure. I love that you say things. wiggle. I always just say wiggle it. Oh, wiggle. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It's not complicated. You just want it to move. <laughs> oh, very yeah. technical term wiggle, right. but just wiggle, wiggle the yeah. star. Yeah. That's the scientific <laughs> term. Yeah. And it. also, and once things kind of get more healed, you know, working into deeper layers too, I think that's some, that's one that gets often missed a lot, like even right down to the organs. Cause we know some scar tissue can heal, you know, kind of around the, the bladder area and, and the uterus. So getting in nice and deep. Um, but obviously it has to be within your comfort level. So usually I tell people I like, keep it less than a three or a four out of 10 pain, but um, I don't know if you guys have other recommendations on that, but that's usually what I tell people. It shouldn't be overly uncomfortable. It, it probably will feel strange and mm -hmm. a little yeah. bit uncomfortable, but I love that. Thank you. I love so that. good. <laughs> um, did you find, so Dana and I talk about sort of like the mental health piece in terms of um, delivery and recovery, that kind of thing. Um, do you have talks with your clients about just processing, you know, when they did, when it wasn't their plan and then they did go for a cesarean section and sort of like referral to other practitioners to talk through that process? What does that look like with your clients? Yeah, that's, we have those conversations all the time. Yeah. <laughs> and mostly I think because I, like I had relatively like on paper, relatively good 
medically speaking, good cesarean sections. Yeah. It took me a long time afterwards. And I think even like upwards of a couple of years afterwards to realize that like, I was a little bit traumatized from that event, like just going through an emergency C-section and we do know actually emergency C-section does meet the criteria for, um, you know, potentially being something that can cause uh, PTSD or post-traumatic yeah. stress disorder. So, yeah. you know, it's, it's, it's a, it's a big deal. Um, potentially for some people. So yeah, we often have that conversation. Usually we work it in kind of around scar work. So I'll say, you know, before I do some scar work, I'll ask permission to touch their scar because there's a lot of people that don't even know or they're surprised <laughs> when mm. someone touches it and they're like, oh my gosh, like that is too much. So we often kind of work it in there um, or have that conversation there. And then yeah, often I'll refer to, um, you know, a psychotherapist or um, you know, counselor that, that specializes particularly in, in birth trauma Mm -hmm. um, or postnatal recovery, um, because yeah, those are, they're really important pieces and they can impact the, the physical recovery too, right? Because if you're processing so much and, and so thrown off emotionally that you can't touch your own scar or have a practitioner touch your scar, right? Then that, that uh, certainly impacts the work that can be done there. And so there's lots of layers. Um, so yeah, that's usually how I approach it. And, um, you know, I'll let people know that, you know, this isn't my wheelhouse, but I know that it's, it's a super important component <laughs> to your recovery. Um, so yeah, it's, it's something that needs to be addressed and like a lot of people for a variety of reasons, you know, they don't want to necessarily see a, a professional, um, which is fine. Right. Yep. I'll often really encourage them to like, at least talk with your partner about it or talk with, you know, if you don't have a partner, talk with a mom or uh, a girlfriend that's also had a cesarean birth just to, you know, get it out in the open, you know, say, you know what, I still really am fearful when I think back to that. Or, you know, I have flashbacks to my birth or I have nightmares or whatever it is. Um, you know, and this would go for vaginal birth as well. Or if you yeah. have vaginal yeah. birth. Um, so I think that's kind of, that's often a good starting point for people is just to have those conversations with, with people they know and trust. And then if, if they feel like they need a little more support, then yeah, but for sure, you know, reach out to a, um, a healthcare provider that can fill in those pieces a little bit more. Because yeah, there's lots you can do to help process that. So and the scar work too, I find is a really helpful piece yeah integrating that right because yeah. you can work through that while you're doing some of those physical pieces and right often I guess that's the other piece I'll often say you know as you're working you're doing your physio exercises for your your scar mobilizations and you're getting some emotional stuff come up then you know don't like just shut her down or say oh man like I gotta pause this like you know see where that kind of takes you a little bit and you know work with um uh, you know, a psychotherapist to give you some pieces that you can kind of work through that with, because yeah, that, that physical piece and the emotional piece kind of tied together can give some really good results. I love that. Yeah. So good. Yeah. Yeah. Really should be standard of care. Should be, I think so. For all births yeah. really <laughs> check in. Yeah. yeah 100%. I agree. Yeah, totally. That's yeah. a whole other chat. Yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll get that ball rolling ladies. <laughs> we'll, we'll yes. get there. I have to ask kind of tying into one of our last questions here, but um, so the most common piece of advice that cesarean moms get when they leave the hospital is don't lift anything more than baby. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You've given some great tips on things, you know, the elastic band and, you know, gentle mobilizations and things like that already a lot more information than moms are going to get in the hospital. But what are the advice, what advice do you give your moms who this is not their first baby and they've got toddlers at home that they need to bend and lift and things. What's your advice there? Mm -hmm. I'm going to be careful with this response. Yeah. <laughs> Follow your surgical guidance, <laughs> right? yes. but life. <laughs> yeah. 
right? Yeah, the first thing I would stress is, yeah, it's, it, re- it really is important to follow the, the surgeons, um, you know, post-op restrictions and everybody's going to have slightly different ones. You know, I, I had four and I think I had, you know, three different suggestions. You know, one was like, don't lift more than the weight of your baby. One was don't lift more than 20 pounds. One was don't lift more than 10 pounds. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it might kind of depend on the, the specific procedure that they did or style of, of cesarean um, incision and, and all that stuff. Um, it's, there's definitely the real life scenario of, (laughs) yeah, when you have other kids at home, it's just, it's really easy, or I should say really difficult to stick to those restrictions. Right. Um, so I would, yeah, like I would definitely encourage you to do your best to follow that. And there's lots of neat ways you can kind of get around that to kind of stay within those restrictions. Um, for example, I think I saw a really great video online. I should have. I should like write down who does these awesome things, but there was a really great video online about, um, you know, how to maybe this would be for a larger, larger toddler, but how to get a larger toddler out of their crib. (laughs) If you have just had a cesarean birth, you know, and you have a a newborn at home and that, you know, say a a two-year-old or three-year-old, they're way too heavy for you to lift. And she had a really great idea of, you know, putting up a chair um, and like a little step stool in the crib that you could lift the, you know, the super tiny little plastic step stool into the, the crib so that they can crawl out onto the chair and you're there to, you know, guide them so they don't fall, but, um, but they can do that, that heavy lifting for you. Right. So there's lots of different ways, or I had great suggestion. Uh, I think this was from my doctor, actually, you know, if, you, if someone falls and scrapes their knee, <laughs> you can still love them and shower them with love, but say, Hey, you know what, mom's going to sit down on the ground. Can you come here to mom and cuddle me so you're not having to pick them up? And certainly it doesn't, like the real life realities, it doesn't work that way all the time. Um, But which is why I personally really strongly believe that we need to, you know, give people different tools earlier (laughs) so that they can kind of deal with this stuff and and kind of, yeah, get around it as best they can. Not as a like, you know, bypassing, but, uh, you know, so their bodies are supported as best they can to deal with those real life scenarios. So. Exactly. And, but even those suggestions are, that's exactly what I was after. Like those little suggestions can make a big difference for a mom coming home and they've got an older child and they already have guilt. It doesn't matter what your birth looks like that. You're not, you know, you're paying attention to the newborn and now they can't lift their toddler, but having those kinds of suggestions are so awesome. And so important to tell moms ahead of time. Yeah. And it's a little care, right? Yeah. It's for sure. And it's, obviously it looks a little different now during COVID, but this is something I really wish I had done different (laughs) with mine is, you know, make sure you like send the older kids to grandma and grandma's and then you can make it a big special thing. You're going to have some sleepovers at grandma's and um, you know, so that they, they don't feel slighted and it's kind of exciting, you know, but so that you have that physical break from them or, you know, having someone, you know, depending on your relationships, having someone come and live with you so that they can help with the older children or, you know, have activities planned or whatever that looks like. There's lots of ways around it, but yeah, it's, it is a lot. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, it's hard. So we want to be mindful of your time, Jacqueline, you've given us such great tips. So where can people find you? Oh, good question. Probably easiest to find me on Instagram. Yeah. Seabach PT. Um, or else, yeah, you can find me, um, online. I have a, a website, JacquelineSeabuckPT.com, or you can find me through rebirth wellness center uh, in downtown London, um, as well. And yeah, those are probably the easiest. So yeah, I love getting questions and, and interaction on, on Instagram. So don't be afraid to reach out, um, if you need help kind of navigating yeah, resources and where to, to connect with people in your area. Um, yeah. 
Are you working with clients uh, in person, online, both? What does that yeah, look like? Yeah, both, both in person yeah. and virtually. Yeah. Awesome. So the virtual appointments obviously would be uh, restricted to anyone in Ontario, but um, yeah, in person. And if you live in the London or St. Mary's area, then yeah, you can find me at those locations. I love it. And I highly encourage to follow Jacqueline on Instagram. Her TikToks are amazing. Oh, yeah. I always say, you are the TikTok queen. Like, (laughs) just pump them out. I'm like, how? How How do you do that? It's so amazing. The the reality is, I spend way too much time on that. I shouldn't, but it's so fun, though. (laughs) It it is so fun. And it's such a really cool way to get information across in an entertaining way. Yeah, 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 I think so you, do, you do a great job. You really Thank do. you so much for joining us tonight. Uh, it's been lovely chatting with you about all this, and um, also we'll have to see you soon in person. Yeah, and yeah. we'll have to have you on again, Jacqueline, because I feel like yeah, there's probably good. still topics that we didn't cover that we'll have to cover in a, a future episode. I yes. would be game for that. Yeah, thanks awesome. a lot for having me, guys. That was lovely. Thanks, fun. Jacqueline. Thank you.